about 12 years old. And this was one of the first songs that I ever learned to play and sing. So that's how old the song is. I'm not going to tell you how many years that is. But anyway, I thought about this this morning when Brother Brian was preaching, that God intends for us to serve him. That's what we're born for. And that's what the name of the song is, I Was Born to Serve the Lord. From the dust of the earth, my God created man. His breath made man a living soul. Then God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that is why. I love him so, for I was made in his likeness, created in his image. Oh, I was born to serve the Lord, and I can't deny him. I will always walk beside him. For I was born to serve the Lord. My hands were made to help my neighbor. My eyes were made to read God's word. My feet were made to walk in his footsteps. My body is a temple of the Lord. For I was made in his likeness, created in his image. Oh, I was born to serve the Lord. And I can't deny him, I will always walk beside him, for I was born to serve the Lord. No, I can't deny him, I will always walk beside him, for I was born to serve the Lord. Well, if you have your Bible or something that opens up the Bible, open it up to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Thank you again, Miss Nelda. That was beautiful and such a truth. Hopefully y'all caught the little double meaning there. You were born physically, but you were also born spiritually to serve the Lord. Uh, there's kind of a double meaning in that statement. 
Well, we looked at uh, verses 1 through 21 last week of John chapter 10, and uh, we you know, looked at that whole massive section, and I told you I really wanted to come back and look at verse 16 again, so I thought we could do that tonight, because there's a lot of meat in that one little verse where Jesus says, remember he's talking about sheep, he's talking about how the sheep, the true sheep recognize his voice, uh, and he's, he's really drawing this comparison to the Pharisees, giving them this comparison of how true sheep know his voice, and they listen to him, and they follow him, and if you don't do that, then you're not truly the sheep of God, uh, because you're not listening to the shepherd. And then he makes this statement to them in verse 16, and uh, well, let's just read this verse. It says, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And uh, let, let's just pause a moment in prayer. Father, we thank you for your scripture, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would emphasize it in our hearts. Uh, Lord, your Holy Spirit, who is definitely present in this place, always with us, Lord, that you would uh, have the freedom through your Holy Spirit to speak to us and change us from the inside out. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. The kind of underlying emphasis of that, of that, that verse is this alien sheep. Uh, if you could think of it, uh, not illegal necessarily, but not of the normal fold. Maybe they were speckled, I don't know. Uh, the idea there, what do sheep not of this fold exactly um, uh, refer to? I'm not a shepherd. I don't, I've never kept sheep, so... I don't know the um, agricultural sense that Jesus is trying to make here of sheep of the fold and sheep not of the fold. But the idea here is that there are alien sheep. And I told you last week that some have used this scripture to um, rationalize their way of belief. The Mormons use this verse uh, to talk about how they were these other sheep. Uh, that were brought in, that Jesus is going to bring in. Uh, of course, maybe if there's an underlying theme there of alien sheep, then you think of uh, Martian sheep. You know, maybe uh, the, the Martians came and brought sheep. No, I'm just kidding. That was never taught. But uh, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, strange teachings out there that they use this verse. Uh, of course, we've talked before about how uh, God, I mean not God, but Satan, in combat or in opposition to God, will use his own scripture against uh, the teachings of God. Of course, uh, when Jesus was being tempted, we saw that. Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus is being tempted by Satan, and Satan quotes scripture to Jesus. And so that Satan is no stranger to using God's word to uh, have some sort of uh, horrible offspring teaching. And so, again, I want to look at this, I want to pause and talk about this calling of the sheep that Jesus talks about here, uh, this alien sheep, other sheep. And, and really just four points I want to look at that comes from this scripture, uh, that comes from the phrases that Jesus uses in the scripture. He says first, I have other sheep. He says, and other sheep I have. Some of your versions say, I have other sheep. That's the meaning there. Jesus had other sheep. And again, I told you last week that what he is referring to there, I believe, are the Gentiles, most um, conservative commentaries, scholars, biblical scholars, they believe that too, that he was referring to the Gentiles because if he's talking to the Jews, those would be sheep not of the fold. They would definitely be the strange or alien sheep. But 
uh, in looking at that, how thankful we should be for Jesus wanting these other sheep because you and I are these other sheep. But let me talk briefly about the language used here. The English properly translates this verse as a completed action. He doesn't say, I hope to have. He says, other sheep I have, which is a completed action. It's, it's not something that's going to happen in the future. He is saying like it's already happened. Because for Jesus, this is not wishful thinking, but it is a confident, completed action. They are already in his possession, even before they have come to him. It would not be until his ascension into heaven and the miraculous pouring out of the Holy Spirit that we read in Acts chapter 10 where Cornelius receives the message of the gospel and Peter is sent to him and Cornelius, who is a Gentile, is converted and Peter has this revelation and says, oh, the gospel is for everyone, not just for the Jews. And so Jesus here in John chapter 10 talks about these other sheep as if they are already his, but these other sheep, if they are indeed Gentiles, and again, I really believe they are, they haven't come to Christ in faith yet. So how can Jesus already have them? How can he talk about this as a completed action? Because the teaching, the theology that the Bible gives us in God's economy of time and foreknowledge, these sheep are already His. He knows humanity. He knows each and every one of us. He knows what you're thinking before you even think it. He knows His calling, and He knows the calling that He will extend to all of humanity. And He knows who will respond to that calling in obedience and who will not. Now, some might call this divine election, and you see this truth taught throughout Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, uh, Paul says, God chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world. Some of us are uncomfortable with that idea, God choosing us before the foundations of the world. Nevertheless, this is a teaching of Scripture. You also see it in the Gospel of John chapter 6, verse 37, all the Father gives me will come to me. He's talking about it not as if it has happened, but that it will happen, but it is a certainty. Again and again in the Scriptures, you see this truth being taught. God has already given to Christ those who will be saved. He knows it, we don't. He has foreknowledge, you and I don't. He knows who will choose to respond in faith to His calling. I have other sheep. They already belong to Him. They just don't know it yet. We used to joke around when I was in college. This is kind of immature. But uh, we used to joke around about, you know, maybe there was a, a good-looking girl and we're like, man, she's pretty, wouldn't mind going out for, with her. And we would say things like this because as guys, we're trying to be confident. We're like, yeah, she already likes me. She just doesn't know it yet. Listen, you are already saved, you just didn't know it yet. God had you in mind in calling you into salvation. And this applies in the time of Christ, and it still applies today. Jesus still has other sheep that he is bringing into his flock. God is still in the saving business. He is not done. He didn't finish. 
He is still saving people today. Amen? God is still saving people today. So we must understand that there are still other sheep He is bringing into the flock, but He is bringing them. Let's look at that next little phrase. He says, not only other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, but them, he says, them also I must bring. I love that phrase, I must bring. I love that Jesus says that about these other sheep. He must bring them. When I read that word must, I realize within that word is my salvation. And if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, in that word must lies your salvation. My salvation and your salvation was a must of Jesus Christ. The way this phrase and verbiage literally can translate is, he is saying, it behooves me, I love that word, it behooves me to bring them to salvation. It behooves me, it is a necessity. It was such a necessity that it was a necessity for him to lay down his life for these other, these alien sheep. And he brings these other sheep by his calling. Remember his calling? Verse 3 of this same chapter, Jesus made this statement. He says, to him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Do you remember how you were called into salvation? Do you remember when you heard his voice calling you to go through the door, to go through that gate? from lost to saved, perhaps it was a certain sermon, perhaps it was a certain scripture, a certain pastor, a certain Sunday school teacher, in some way, in some form, the Lord called you, and you need to understand it was a necessity for Him. He must call His sheep. He called you into His flock and you were saved, not by your own works, as our memory verse taught us, not by our own merit but by the grace and goodness of God. And understand, he did this not as an afterthought. In other words, he didn't say, well, let's go to heaven and have a vacation and maybe we'll save a few people. No, you and I were the forethought. You were the intended purpose of his coming and laying down his life. Yes, he came to glorify himself. He came to glorify God through his works, but he came to glorify himself through the saving of those other sheep that I must be saving. We were at the forefront of his mind. We were at the forefront of the mission of Jesus Christ. He came for the explicit purpose to lay down his life to bring these other sheep unto himself. And he did this by making his voice heard, which is the next phrase he says. Looking again at verse 16, and he says, And they will hear my voice. And they will hear, or some of your translations may say, and they will listen to my voice. And this is not to say that these sheep that he must bring will merely hear the utterance of his call, but they will hear and they will understand and they will respond. We've talked at length before about the difference between listening and hearing. Some will hear, but they will not understand. Some will listen and they will perceive or whatever the difference in those two words can can be. He says he must bring Uh, he must bring, will merely hear the utterance of his call, but they will hear and they will respond. Remember earlier, Jesus said in verses 3 through 4 that the sheep follow the shepherd because, why? Because they know 
His voice there at the end of verse 4. There is good news in this little, vo- this little verse, this little phrase. They will know His voice. God cares so much about the lost that He makes certain that they will hear, understand, listen, respond to His voice and respond to this calling to salvation. God is not lazy. God is not lax. He is proactive in making certain that people hear Him and know Him and respond. And the response, the choice to not follow is often not out of ignorance, but out of willful unbelief. We've talked about this before. And and how later in this chapter, we're going to see Jesus confront the Pharisees about their willful unbelief. How they know, they understand, they have heard, but they choose not to respond. In fact, just look at that. Verses 24. We're going to be looking at this next week. But let's let's just look at the verses real quick. Verse 24. (coughs) And this is going to be, by the way, a completely different scene. This is, this is weeks after what he has talked about leading up to verse 21. Uh, but we'll talk about that next week. Verse 24, it says, Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. This is the Jew, when it says that the Jews surrounded him, I mean, it's specifically talking about the Pharisees and those that the Pharisees were leading. Tell us. Stop leaving us in doubt. Tell us if you are the Christ. Jesus answered them, I told you. And we've read in the Gospel of John. He has told them already. I told you, and you do not believe. Verse 25, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me. Did you catch that? It said they heard him, but they did not hear him. When we talk about God's calling and we talk about his certainty about his sheep, we are not talking about God's exclusion of the uncalled, but the willful unbelief of the uncalled. They hear it. They hear the calling. They understand the calling is what Jesus is saying. But they do not believe. They willfully choose. To not believe. Why are you leaving us in doubt? We want to know if you're the Christ. Listen, you know. You know. You just choose not to believe. So, how do you know if you have actually spiritually heard him calling? Well, do you need to see the book of life? Probably not. If you've truly heard him spiritually call you. Do you need some kind of ethereal proof or maybe even physical proof of your salvation? Probably not. Because when Jesus speaks, you hear his call and you respond. And you say, I'm listening. I hear you. I understand. You respond. You may not understand what he is saying precisely. Kind of like when Abraham got that calling from God to go, and Abraham said, where? And God said, I'll lead you. He didn't understand the calling, but he understood who was calling him. Do you understand who is calling you? Understand the voice speaking to you. You see, belief is not the start of our salvation. His calling is. 
That's why he says in John 6, 44, unless the Spirit draws you, calls you, no one can come unto the Father. Belief is not the start of our salvation. Belief is our response to his calling, his effective calling of our salvation. His calling is the start of our salvation. Belief confirms that we are indeed his sheep. We have indeed heard his voice. We've understood and we are responding. Remember what Jesus said in verse 27? He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. In spite, or in, in, in contrast, what he says to the, to the Pharisees in verse 26, he says, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You don't believe, guys, because you're not my sheep. If you never follow him, you are never one of his sheep. And if you do follow him, you are his sheep. And we are one of those other sheep that he must bring. The fourth phrase that he says in this verse comes at the end. He says, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And in this last phrase, last week I emphasized how through Jesus, our one shepherd, he has dissolved all divisional lines. There's no longer the Jew and the Gentile. There's no longer man and woman. And I'm not saying that he's done away with genders and we get to choose which one we want to be. But he does not differentiate anymore between uh, man and woman in regards to a spiritual eliteness. He has done away with that. Uh, economical, he says, listen, nothing should divide you humans. You are all part of one flock and one shepherd. I've gotten rid of all those divisions you guys have come up with. And in this biblical time setting, they, you know, they had divided themselves based on gender, based on uh, their ethnicity, their race, and, and anything else they could come up with. And Jesus he says, I'm going to be your one shepherd, and there's going to be one flock, and we're getting rid of all these divisions. One big, happy flock of sheep. But I want to just emphasize not that, but instead the time frame of this one flock under one shepherd. Look at that again. What he says, he says, there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, we might read that and say, well, that sounds kind of like future tense, will be. It will one day be the case. But future tense also carries with it the idea of a continual action. So this is not something that's just happening right now, but will continue on and on and on and on. There will be one flock forever and ever and ever. Jesus has already established that these sheep that have yet to believe, will certainly believe and will be part of his one flock. But what he is saying here is that this is an endlessness. We sometimes use a phrase, once saved, always saved. What he is saying is, once I make you a part of the flock, you are always a part of the flock. Listen, you may feel like you don't believe, belong to the church, but you are a part of the church if you are a part of Christ. You are a part of the flock forever and ever and ever. Look at verse 27 again. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Keep going. He says in verse 28, and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I love the security of our salvation. I love how he says, no one is able to snatch them out of my hand, and I and the Father are one, and, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. Our security of our salvation is in the strength of God's grasp. Get that? The strength of our salvation is in the strength of God's grasp. Nobody and nothing can snatch us out of His hand. And this is where our confidence truly should come from. It's not in the strength of my faith. It's not in the, the, uh, the strength of my belief. But the strength and the security of my salvation lies within His hand. There is also, though, within this verse a massive implication of global missions and our need to emphasize it. While Jesus was on this earth, He was the revelation of God and the call of God to these other sheep that He must bring into the fold. But once He ascended, that responsibility was passed on, literally, to His disciples. You hear it in verses like Acts 1.18, and you are one eight, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Or in Mark chapter 15, 16, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In other verses that lend itself to this idea that the preaching of the gospel, the, the reaching out the call of God to these sheep of his, is now the responsibility of his followers, of his people. Jesus must bring in his sheep, but he does this through his people. They will hear his voice, but that voice will be through his people's voice. And we are looking for other sheep that are of a different variety. We are not looking for sheep that look like us, or act like us, or even smell like us. We are looking simply for the called sheep that the one shepherd has called to be a part of the one flock. And I don't know who they are, and neither do you. So we must be simply faithful to tell the story of salvation to as many people and as much as we possibly can, and then support the work of those who go to tell that story into the places that we can never go into. The global impact of missions. It is an implication not only foreign speaking, but here at home as well. And nonetheless, it necessitates the importance for the people of God to be the voice of God so they can hear the call of God. The call. When I was a kid, I remember being out in the neighborhood and playing with my friends. And I don't know what it was like when you were a kid, but, but when it was dinner time, you know, what did mo most moms do? They would go out onto the porch, right? And with all their strength, they would... They would call out for their kid's name, right? Vance, come home! Did your mom call you Jerry? Okay. Vance, come home! It's time to eat, right? And we would be playing in somebody's, somebody's front yard or backyard or, you know, maybe uh, building a fort up in the trees or whatnot, and, and you could kind of hear that calling, but you couldn't necessarily make out exactly what was going on. And uh, I got to give my mom props. What I mean is I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, compliment her because my mother was a little different she would find out where we were playing and she would come literally and find me 
and then she would call me. And I had no problem at all distincting who that was, that's my mom, and that what she was calling me to do. Brian, it's come to, time to come eat dinner. Let's go. Yes, ma'am. You see, the calling of God is so much stronger when it comes through a personal relationship. Listen, I can get on Facebook or I can cry out from the pulpit, you need to be saved, you need to be saved. But it's going to be like those moms who just call from the front porch and people just, maybe they respond, maybe they don't. Is that my mom? I don't know. But they will respond so much better when it's a one-on-one -on -one contact. You see what I'm saying? We, the people of God, are supposed to be the voice of God to go out and call these sheep, these other sheep that Jesus must be bringing into the one flock. But we can't leave it up to a few people. We can't leave it up to a few preachers to broadcast it from the pulpits. It must be us individually, personally, as much as possible, reaching out, making that personal call. I don't know who you know, but I know who I know. And I know who I have relationships with. And I know the Lord can use me in those relationships to tell the story of Jesus calling us to be a part of His one flock. And I know you can too, to those people you know. Nobody can reach your family or your friends like you can. Make it a matter of prayer and make it a matter of priority. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you brought these alien sheep in, Lord, these other sheep. And not just that you brought them in as an afterthought, but Lord, that they were a forethought. And God, in that same way, would you make it a forethought of our minds as well? That we wouldn't say, oh, well, maybe, maybe God can use me. But that we would say, God can use me. And I must, in the same way you said, I must. We must adopt that conviction that you had, Jesus. That you must be bringing these sheep in. And understand, that's our calling too. We must be bringing these sheep into the fold. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.